Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, This next episode is amazing. (laughs) I speak with Lakita Williams, a remarkable woman who provides meaningful insight time after time uh, throughout this interview. Lakita owns her own business, co-create work that is focused on helping companies build a dynamic culture. She is a certified executive and leadership coach and has a background in social work and many years of corporate experience as well. I know that you will benefit from hearing about her story and even more so from her words of wisdom. I know that I did. (laughs) Enjoy this episode. Thank you for joining me, Lakita. I'm so happy to have this conversation with you, and we've been planning it for a while, and I am excited for people to hear your story. We know each other um, from working together at Amazon, and while we both, well, me probably more than you, it it was not necessarily a very long tenure, (laughs) but... Um, some fascinating and wonderful people and great relationships. And so I feel uh, lucky that we get to know each other. We got to work on a project together. I think we were stuck in a conference room for a few days with um, n- no <laughs> other people and no way out. So we had to get along. <laughs> it's one of my favorite ways to work. <laughs> I know. It was actually a lot of fun. Um, and I just felt like and feel like that this is an opportunity. One, I would love for people to hear about you and what you're doing. Um, And also just, I think when we did spend that time together, I loved your story. And I think everyone has a unique story that others can benefit from. So I just, I appreciate your time. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for having me. Uh, And I completely agree about story um, and how like motivating and empowering it can be. And uh, just to hear like different experiences, I think brings us closer. And we feel like, hey, I'm not alone in what I, you know, thought about a situation or how I experienced the situation, even though we're all really different. So Mm -hmm. I I just love um, your podcast and the work that you're doing. I think it's so important. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. So first, I want to start with kind of the most recent because um, you are an executive coach and you also recently started your own business uh, with a focus on organizations uh, helping to build their culture and probably way more than that. So I'm, I'm interested to hear you talk about that. Um, and I, I think you and I got to know each other also a little bit more in the context of coaching. We both did some coaching work. Um, when we worked together, and um, that was some really fun uh, work that we got to do with others and helping leaders develop. So I'm curious about um, life as an executive coach and also some of the work that you're doing with CoCreate. Yeah, thank you. So 
Um, my company is Co-Create Work, and and overall, what we do is we help founders um, as well as small businesses, emerging companies yep. to build basically learning cultures, cultures that are effective, healthy, inclusive, but still recognizing like their unique perspective and the way that they want to approach the work that they do in the world. Yep. So that's an overview. And within that, I get to do a ton of coaching, which is really I would say my superpower is yeah. sweet spot, which is just like this opportunity to partner with people um, and help them to bring out the very best of themselves and their strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do a lot around like uh, leadership coaching, executive development. And I think we uh, that was part of our partnership yeah. in our previous role is like this accelerated development. So this idea that you are experiencing and lesson life right now uh, yeah. and leading people right now and how do you prepare yourself each day uh, to kind of partner and work with people so we do everything from design and development around like the structure of your organization how people interact together as a system I have a background in social work so mm-hmm. really around systems uh, but also that like individual one-to-one work which really helps people to develop those skills much faster. Absolutely. And I, you know, there's a lot out there today uh, on executive coaching, and I've listened to both sides of the fence in terms of uh, it's somewhat of a saturated market now. And I feel like there's some naysayers about executive coaches and in terms of credibility and, and that versus psychology, right? There's all sorts of ways that people kind of pick this apart. The one thing or one of many, but one thing that I love about coaching, I've had an executive coach before. Uh, I, I feel like you are much more apt to move forward and make change when you have someone that's skilled in a specific way as a coach. And the thing I love about coaching in terms of the process and working with coaches is it's very focused on where are you going? Where are you headed? And how can we get there? Uh, it's less about digging into your childhood story and <laughs> figuring out, you know, how that trauma has impacted your life. While there's a place for that, I think with coaching, it, I just love that it's action and forward focused. And the benefit of that other person that's holding you accountable and the other person that's asking you questions to think about things in a way that you wouldn't normally. And I really value and believe in the process and in the whole philosophy around coaching because I feel like mm-hmm. it's it's really critical. And, and, you know, I do some coaching as well. And that feeling of seeing a client grow and develop or seeing someone change uh, in a short period of time, <laughs> really, once you start digging in, if someone's ready to work and wants to, to make that change happen. So, um, I, I really think it's such a great opportunity. And if someone has the resources or their organization has resources or there's ways to tap into that, I strongly encourage it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also curious, like, where are these naysayers? Because everywhere yeah. I am, like, coaching is blowing up. I think people really um, are seeing and experiencing the value. Um, and I'm, you know, by having a background in social work, so yeah. also have, like, a background in therapy, um, that both are highly valuable. And, like, yes. it's this um, 
is space for everything that we need to, in, to yes. evolve as humans. Yeah, and I think so, you know, some pushback comes, I think, across different industries, particularly um, when something takes off and a lot of people uh, get involved. Uh, but uh, I think anyone who has kind of experienced the process of coaching um, has, will say that it, it, it is valuable. For me, it's been completely life-changing yeah. um, just as much as therapy is. So it's like, it's space for both. And I yeah. think sometimes it's humans as you hear out you know in the industry or across industries um we get a little bit focused on what is better or how do we rank yeah uh, in that um it's a very coach thing for us to say right to say like there's space <laughs> for everything <laughs> but that is the truth yeah <laughs> well, but that is the truth there's space for all disciplines i totally agree and then on the culture side the thing i think that's so fascinating i was at a conference recently and they were talking all about experience and that word I think is getting used quite a bit now around whether it's an employee experience, a customer experience, a client experience, and this idea that uh, the experience is going to differentiate you from your competitors. And how do you effectively set up your culture, set up your systems or your product to serve your clients, like whatever the lane is, that experience is at the center of it. And while we're in a stage of dramatic growth in technology, which is fantastic around machine learning and robotics, and there's all these great tools out there that are going to help advance our economy and advance you know, how we work. At the same time, this human condition, the human connection, the culture of organizations and how we connect and how do you create that experience i think your timing of the work that you're doing is is like perfect timing <laughs> um is that something that you're seeing in in the research that you've done in terms of the benefit and the need for for people like you to come in and help other organizations yeah i think absolutely i think we so what has happened uh, is like a mobile movement, like a great leap forward. I think there has always been practitioners and people who thought that we could do work differently. But with like the growing population of younger people who say, you know, we want to do work differently and it's okay for us to do work differently, that there's been a shift and more of a momentum that mm -hmm. has kind of been a ground, like a, a groundswell right. from um, bottom up on how we approach this change um, and think about this change. When I meet and interact with small business owners, uh, founders, even um, larger organizations, the big thing I see is this commitment and like really want to support the whole human being at work. Yeah. Um, as well as to do things differently. So where do we identify previous processes or um, systems or ways of working that works? Like, hey, um, we know collaboration is important, but how do we make collaboration better and also make space for people to have quiet and private time to work? So really the interaction between what supports a human uh, starting there in order to then create a better um, experience for customers and a better experience for the communities that surround us in general. Uh, so I think if we are right at this time where 
the awareness is there and it has always been there, but we also have this groundswell of uh, workers newer or earlier in their career or even later in their career and just saying, hey, I'm inspired by what newer workers for the mm-hmm. workforce believe and want to do, and that is causing us to approach work differently. Absolutely. And I think this intention that people understand is important to be intentional about culture, about how we're going to work and what are the best ways to work. And I love what you said, too, about it's okay to be different and to change and to kind of flip it all upside down (laughs) Uh, because I think that's where you can get some really cool stuff. You know, that was one of the great things, I think. Um, you know, people are always asking me, I don't know if they ask you about working at Amazon and what it was like, and there's a lot of curiosity about that. And I think one of the things that I appreciated about that environment is that there is an openness to flip things up upside down. There is an openness to approach work in a different way to get creative thoughts. And, you know, so I like what you're saying too about Groundswell. I think you're right. There's a momentum right now that I'm really excited about to see where it takes us uh, in terms of you know moving forward and how people work and what what those experiences can be like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So maybe we can just back up a little bit because I I love the the journey. <laughs> I'm fascinated mm-hmm. with how people you know get where they are and and you and I similarly at, at, at sort of very closely timed took big leaps to do something very different. And um, than what we had done previously. So, but before we get there, tell me a little bit about you know where you grew up and what that experience was like. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, my mother was actually born and raised there. Uh, her family was part of the Great Migration, where a lot of uh, Black Americans moved from the South to the North okay. uh, in order to find opportunities for work and in order to have like better and safer quality of life. So uh, I grew up in Cleveland, and Cleveland for me, and some people might listen to this might laugh, but it was very city. Uh, <laughs> And so that definitely had a huge impact on me uh, in growing up. So there was a lot of like mobility for me as a teenager. Um, Mm. I definitely grew up in challenging circumstances, um, both from a community neighborhood perspective and also from a personal perspective. Uh, But I had this freedom of movement uh, and it taught me a lot about how to keep an eye on my surroundings, how to understand emotions of others, how to keep myself safe, um, how to watch out for myself and younger siblings. I'm actually the oldest of four. Um, And my mother was raising all of us as a single mother. So we had all of those dynamics going on um, within city life. And so it was a bit of like, how do we work together? And I work as a partner with her as I got older to get everyone where they needed to go to make sure everyone was fed um, and that, you know, we got homework done and all of the things, but within this uh, bubble in a way of like inner city life um, and keeping yourself safe uh, and surrounded uh, by people who, you know, were going through their own journeys and, you know, having like challenging situations happen within their lives. So I think a lot of my classmates um, in some ways had that same experience, Mm -hmm. but it really taught me a lot about um, both 
how to see the perspective of other people um, and how systems uh, can come into play when we think about uh, access to education, when we think about uh, resources, um, and how either helpful or detrimental, uh, you know, certain things like that can be. So it was a very, uh, I would say, adventurous childhood. I kind of think of myself as still a bit adventurous <laughs> um, childhood, uh, but definitely challenging, which I think um, is not unique to me. Uh, but you learn, you tend to learn a lot, uh, especially around uh, management of relationships and emotions. Do you think that your time growing up in that environment um, influenced your decision to become a social worker? Oh, yeah. I think probably underneath it all. And yeah. um, when I, or my youngest daughter was born prematurely, and I think that really kind of sustained, like, I need to get involved into social work. Mm. Um, and that really hammered it up at home, but I think it was potentially bubbling underneath. I, I think I went through an experience that a lot of people experience as they're going through their younger years, which is like, what is the right, you know, kind of job or career to pursue? Is it a lawyer? Is it a doctor? Right. And it, it seems in some ways um, very limited, even though I was the first person in my family to go to college, um, still having this aspiration around uh, you know, you should be a lawyer or you should be a doctor mm -hmm. um, in order to then, you know, move on and have like a successful career. So initially after finishing college, I would have never, uh, my undergraduate degree, I would have never said, oh, I am going to go and do social work. Um, it was only after experiencing um, the birth of my daughter being born early and uh, the, seeing the impact that work has on each of us as a person, mm -hmm. as an individual, that I was really committed and felt brave, I guess, and empowered to say, hey, I'm going to take the risk. I don't know where this social work and business thing is going to lead, right. um, but I'm going to jump out there. So it was, I think, similar to a lot of people, kind of a life experience that really gave me um kind of hope and courage to take yeah. that step. Definitely not fear, not fearlessness, but courage. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Okay. So to go back a little bit in terms of that challenging situation for you, uh, did you know, so I, I interviewed someone else and they were talking about, they grew up on the South side of Chicago and they were talking about growing up and similarly, like that was just their experience. So until they got out of that experience, which they were driven to get out of that experience, they didn't really know anything else. And so the way you talked about it just now, um, sort of more philosophically or, you know, kind of big picture when you're in it and when you're, okay. you know, a young person, do you know that you're in it? I don't know if I'm asking that the right way. Like, you know, the fact that you had a lot of responsibility early on, you know, given that your mom was, you know, had four kids and was alone, like, is that just expected because you're the oldest one and that, you know, you just do what you do because that's your situation. And how much of it are you recognizing, like, this is my life now, but I, I want something different or, you know, tell me a little bit about that, like your perspective at that yeah. time. Yeah. So I, I will say resilience mm -hmm. right was was critical it's 
you, if you grow, growing up where I grew up, I'm in the inner city, there's not a lot of uh, examples um, that I had on a day-to-day basis of, you know, someone going or moving across the country or pursuing whatever type of work that they wanted to do. Right. But there are a lot of micro things that happened in my life. And I think it's probably true for most people as well. So, you know, you have a teacher who says to me, you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes, even if it takes you 10 years to finish college, you should go, right? Mm. And, and someone who, you know, and that message is in a sense a seed planet that yeah. comes later and you're like, oh, okay, I remember, you know, I remember this. I also was fortunate to go to a high school where um, you were able to get a certification. So I became a nursing assistant uh, while I was in high school and was able to pursue an actual job while I was a junior and a senior and going into people's homes, right? And um, offering home health. It just showed me like people, there are people who have situations that are more challenging than me. Mm. There are people who are encouraging me. And then I can also see people who are pursuing something different uh, at at a higher level, and so all of those come kind of come together to have an impact on the experience I had. Uh, at one thing, so when I was nineteen, uh, it was just an ad in the paper for folks listening. Are probably like, "What people looked for jobs in like the newspaper?" Uh, but it was an <laughs> ad in the paper for it was like back in the day yeah. um, for like come out to this conference center uh, to see if you can get a role as a flight attendant. So I'm 19 <laughs> years old. Um, by that time, I'm also a mom. Um, and wow. I take three buses to go way out to apply for this, this role. And it was a two-day event. And I remember getting the call to say, hey, you are offered this role as a flight attendant. And first, how excited I was and how um unique that experience was for me it was really a game changer for me in terms of when I went to go and do the work and go away for three weeks to do training you know I'm just like a 19 year old uh, who um, didn't hadn't had any experience like that Uh, and then fly people all over Uh, it was again just like these micro interactions that help you to see wow there is something that is bigger and broader out here for me Mm -hmm. and I too can pursue that and so one thing that I want to do just as kind of a reminder for people is that there are small interactions that you have with people either you give a word here you give encouragement there you mail someone a book or send someone a podcast Hmm. and all of those things come together to help that person have a more positive experience so i think sometimes we underestimate the impact that a program can have a small job opportunity can have um, but it's really a game changer for people uh and i so i just wanted to give that word of encouragement because i think it was definitely things like that that had this bigger impact on me um, along with, right, my mother um, just surviving, right, yeah. as a mom for the inner city. So that combination of resilience plus uh, this ability to see that there's other things out there. And how do you, you mean, I don't know if this is easy to answer. How do you mm-hmm. at that time be positive? How do you know that 
you should be engaging in these experiences. Like the fact that you were a nursing assistant and you're still in high school and so you're working and going to school and then, you know, I guess the question, how do you stay positive and optimistic when kind of everything around you, it's very easy to follow in the footsteps of others or just succumb to what's expected in that environment? Yeah, I think it's back to this idea of like um, different people having an impact on okay. you. So yeah. when I was younger as well, I had a neighbor, um, and today she's my uh, adopted godmother, um, and she was just a huge example for me and resource for me and encouragement for me around like what is possible. And so you combine and like you build this small community. For me, it was also books, I will say. <laughs> I was um, total was a dreamer and reader. Uh, and so like uh, come in face to face with stories about uh, people who had overcome or were doing things differently as well as mentors actually in my life, like my godmother or like a teacher mm -hmm. uh, who were just a few steps above me all I think have an impact on this ability to see like things from a, a optimistic point of view uh, and think that things can be better. It, it usually just takes a small kernel mm. of, and, and a switch in mindset to say, instead of focusing on what's not working, mm. um, how can I focus on what is working? And that's something that I developed um, as a skill just based on having those mentors and other people in my life. Yeah, yeah. I think you cannot underestimate the power of teachers, coaches, family members, you know, yeah. that that I, I totally agree yeah. with you that okay. you never know uh, what words of encouragement. And, and then interestingly, and sort of conversely, as you're talking, you know, if you're someone that is not as encouraging or there's negative uh, stuff being put out in the world, you know, those are memorable moments as well. So kind of being mm -hmm. cognizant of, I remember I had a teacher once I was in, I don't know, maybe first grade. And I was sitting in this, like we were in the library and I was sitting in the library and I had pigtails in <laughs> and I was like, shaking my head back and forth so the pigtails were like swiveling and like it was I was six right like it wasn't even like I was consciously doing anything and she called me out in front of this class and basically dressed me down and said that I was weird and strange and it was this moment oh, no. of like being a you know when you're young like that and you're so sort of open to everything like you don't know that that experience then gets in there and then you start thinking, well, I'm a weirdo or I'm a, you know, so I just feel like if people that are in those roles that have such, they don't, and sadly they aren't, I feel like teachers need more money, obviously, than what they're um, earning in the market. But like, you know, there's such an impact or coaches or, um, you know, any, any person that's kind of in that position of authority or to your point, neighbors, mentors, anybody, you know, recognize like, wow, what, what impact you could have when you're positive and, you know, motivating. Yeah, absolutely. I For think sure. that in the term I always use is 
to think, and I'm not sure where I got this from, so excuse me if I wonder if this is your yeah. word, but <laughs> speaking life into people, speaking life into people. So how, uh, how in any interaction that I am having, how do I speak life into people mm. rather than take from? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is kind of one of my driving values. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you just because you, you know, were you a good student? Like did, did, um, academics come easily to you? Was that something that were, you were interested in and good at and that you knew also was going to be a way for you to do more or have a bigger impact? Yes. I have a funny story about this. So I was very much into reading Mm -hmm. when I was younger and so read a lot. Uh, and pretty much throughout school got all A's. Uh, but when I went to the eighth grade, I had uh, previously in seventh grade got bullied for being like, uh, you know, like a good student and mm. the teacher's pet, I think is the word that was used quite a bit. <laughs> and I was just done with it. I also felt like, okay, I'm working to get these grades. No one really cares whether Uh, I get good grades or not. So I am just going to be a rebel this year and I'm not going to do anything and I'm going to kind of talk back. And I remember my teachers feeling so shocked and definitely trying to have conversations with me, like what's going on with you? Uh, But I just did not pursue school and, and doing the work and um, eighth grade at that time was the time that you got you had to get promoted in order to go to high school so I remember it was eighth grade promotion I was at home just feeling like I, I didn't go uh, no one asked me about it and I was thinking I failed I'll have to repeat the eighth grade and I just felt like really down, embarrassed, Mm -hmm. right, depressed, like who was I trying to prove something to? And I remember a student, I was going maybe to the corner store, a student walked past and said, why weren't you at promotion? And I said, well, I didn't think I passed. And she said, they called your name. (gasps) And I remember just crying and being in tears and it being a huge lesson for me that it's so important that I am doing the actions that I'm doing for myself Mm. and not for anyone else Um, and that there's nothing wrong right with wanting to get good grades even if it's only for me and Mm. I really don't have anything to prove to anyone else and I think it helps to solidify an independent mm. streak in me mm-hmm. um, rather. And so I always think to myself, I wonder what would have happened or what would have been my trajectory if I actually hadn't passed, which I probably should have, um, but maybe <laughs> I just noticed I was acting out. Um, and like how different could things be right now? So it was a complete game changer for me. And after that, I straightened up and would continue to be um, a good, like a focused student throughout the rest of my uh, high school career. But yeah, it, it wow. was quite the experience. Yeah, that's such a great story because the the influence of others. You know, everyone thinks it's. Um, you know, it's such a stereotypical, you know, junior high, middle high, whatever you want to call it, you know, high school uh, 
stereotype and and I think it it carries on through life and so regardless like being centered in your own point north what you believe in what you are um, strengthened by all these things like that getting to a place where you can be confident in that space is so important um, to I think a road of happiness <laughs> whatever that okay. takes right but be in that such that story reflects that so well so thank you for sharing that did you did you go to college? Like, so at 19, you're a flight attendant. Um, are you going to college at the same time? Did you go to college later? Tell me a little bit about that. Plus, now you're a mom. Like, How are you kind of handling all of that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I continued to do flight attendant, I think, for about three years. Uh, I actually went to college, what I would call late, I think what some people may call early uh, but I the program that I had replanned in my mind is that it's never too late to go to college right and I definitely got this shout out to Miss Bitwin who gave me that word who spoke life into me um, when I was a senior and actually found out that I was pregnant um, so I uh, worked as a flight attendant for a few years and then I moved to Georgia uh, oddly enough funny enough um, and uh, lived there, and I went to college there. So I went to an all-women's college called Wesleyan College down mm -hmm. in Georgia uh, and graduated uh, with my bachelor's degree from Wesleyan College. And it was such a pivotal and great experience for me. I think I was about maybe 23 when I started college. Um, and for some people that would not feel late, I, I in the for me at the time, I think it felt really late because everyone was had started when they were 18. So mm -hmm. I definitely could tell from my experience being there that I was older, but it gave, I think, them a very unique perspective and I was able to bring in some real life experience. Right. And I was also, frankly, able to learn quite a bit from them around flexibility um, and just like finding your place and trying new things um, rather than having to be so structured as I thought about, okay, I have to finish in four years, I have a kid, I have to do this, I have to do that. Um, just knowing them and seeing some of their pursuits gave me a lot more flexibility. So yeah, I actually graduated around 27 or 28. Were you, were you on your own with your daughter then? Or did you have, like, was her dad around? Or were you kind of on your own? Yeah, so my oldest is a son. Um, oh, sorry. Y'all no worries. I have four. I don't know so why. I know. I was like, why did I think it was your daughter? <laughs> the second was the daughter. Yeah, okay. the, uh, the oldest one is in college. Um, but we, um, so yeah, so I was uh, married when I moved to Georgia. So it was me um, and my oldest. And then very soon after that, I had my daughter. Wow. While I was in school. <laughs> yeah. And then two more. Wow. So I feel like um, <laughs> as I listen to you and your story, it's like I think about like my own kids and their experience and, and how much life you lived before you even left eighth grade. Right? It's like, I don't know. I feel like that perspective and those experiences um, provide you know, a lot of opportunities to build character and to your point, to build resilience. And I think you and I have even talked about this before that we have some common fears about 
building resilience in our kids, given that the circumstances for them are different than what our circumstances were. And, you know, the challenges that they face are just, I don't know, I think sometimes when you are in a dysfunctional space, you know, that's where the scrappy people kind of survive, right? <laughs> and my my situation is different than yours, uh, but certainly a fair amount of dysfunction. And so I was like, I, I want a different experience for myself and for my life. And so okay. when you're surrounded by kind of having all your needs met all the time <laughs> um, and that it's, you know, I don't know, I worry a little bit about resilience in people and, and sort of our younger people and also even professionally, I mean, we, you know, I've been around the block a few times now and I've seen the the ability for people professionally to handle conflict or to handle difficulties or to handle setbacks. You know, they're not as equipped, um, which maybe is where the coaching comes in, right? But still, it's just, there's that double-edged sword of having difficulty or challenges or having hardship, but then out of that, it's like, look at all that you've done and accomplished and how you were able to redefine yourself, uh, I think, because you probably have an inner confidence and core that you could kind of get through anything. Yeah, I think this one is a hard one. Um, and I, I think about this a lot. So one thing that I'll say is that from my perspective, people can get resilience from a lot of different things mm -hmm. um, in a lot of different ways. And I want people to build that resilience as we all do, right, in the most healthy way that yeah. they can. So yeah. like, play sports, try a new challenge. Um, and other things like how do we communicate as professionals? How do I thrive in a workplace? How do I push myself through uh, difficult situations? I think are all things that can be built as skills. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why the work that you do is so important. But I think that we have to uh, put it together and say these are skills that people need, right? So the categories of emotional intelligence, like self-regulation, self-awareness, right. are skills that we can teach people uh, and that they don't have to go through trauma to get it. I, you know, one of the most famous things people say all the time is like adversity builds character. Right. You know, look what Oprah went through. Look what yeah. this person went through. And what I will say is that we can build character without trauma. Mm. And I really want us to say, what are the skills, resources that we need to pull together, mm -hmm. um, what are the opportunities people should have, what is the training people should have in order to build like a skill like resilience or a growth mindset, which they're now teaching at yeah. elementary schools. Yeah. I'm so excited about. Yeah. It's like these are all things we can bring to people. Um, people don't have to go through trauma to get it. And I'll say that with that, even when you have something like resilience uh, through a traumatic situation, you still have to work with the other side of that, which is the trauma that you that occurred, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that is where potentially like the therapy piece comes in um, and more work around that. So what I want is for folks to build resilience through skills um, and challenges and opportunities, but not through trauma. Uh, and I think that we can create space for people to do that. And that's similar to the work that you're doing with helping, um, you know, uh, emerging right, right. employees and 
early career folks what do you skills in those areas what do you attribute your hard work ethic to so um one of the things that I noticed about you when we worked together is that you're an extremely hard worker and now everything that we've talked about to this point has only (laughs) verified that further that you're someone who is uh, I think you know you challenge yourself a lot you're putting yourself out there and then you're working hard to find um, I think what you tell me kind of that fulfillment and impact but where did the hard hard work kind of ethic come from. And I I think everything you said about the trauma and resilience, I agree with. I do think also this characteristic of hard work and being um, 100% invested um, towards better, whatever that is. And so I'm curious for Mm -hmm. you how, how that came to be. Yeah, I think so it, it has been a different, like variations I think, throughout my life. So um, even though my mom was a, a single mother, worked, you know, sometimes worked, sometimes didn't, um, always really focused on uh, taking care of us. And that's something that I picked up is like, hey, I need to take care of my siblings. And that within itself is a lot of work. Uh, and then my godmother was kind of the closest professional person that I had to me and uh, being able to go with her to her office and have that experience and see the work that she did day in and day out that really contributed um, to this this um, characteristic around like you know it's important to develop yourself it's important to learn more it's important to um uh, do the work, right? Mm-hmm. That's fulfilling and has an impact. She was actually a social worker mm-hmm. uh, as well. And so it, it showed me like, if you do this work, then you can have a greater impact on people's lives that matter um, and that goes beyond yours. So I think I, I just picked up a ton of lessons from that. And then, you know, once you get into, uh, once I got into a professional career and kind of started to do personal development, then I think everything just accelerates from there. Yeah. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a huge advocate of um, introspection, personal development, um, learning more about yourself, more about how to interact with others and the gateways that that can be um, towards living, like as Oprah would say, your best life right. and being the best version of yourself. So yeah, for sure, personal development accelerated that as well. You know what I think is interesting too, and, and this happened for me more professionally, I think when I first, and I, that's not true, it happened in college too, because I was more of a late bloomer in the in the academic space. And then once I found things that interested me, I matured. I had been through some therapy, quite frankly. I was able to see, first, I'm capable, right? I think that's a big thing. Like, you have to believe in yourself (laughs) that you're capable. And then from there, I was able to make some choices and do some things that I think once I got a taste of it, I was like, oh, oh, I can do this, right? And then the hard work aspect of when you put it in versus when you didn't, (laughs) you could see the delta. And then Professionally, I think what I found and what I, you know, it's like to your point, it's continued to grow as you're being aware and you're observant and you're figuring out how the whole system works. The more I was available, the more work I was doing on behalf of other people or on behalf of the mission that wasn't just solely going to benefit me 
the more I was asked to do things and the more opportunities I was given and the more. So at least professionally for me, there was a one to one almost like kind of the more you put in, the more you got out and I could like see it and feel it. Um, I think when you're in high school and college and even maybe when you first start out, it's it's not is immediate or you have to have a little bit of faith in that deferred gratification, but the hard work pays off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that definitely. But it's definitely, I would say, a characteristic of people that generally are happier or people that um, are feeling more fulfilled is that, you know, they kind of figure out that quotient of like, you know, kind of what you put in is what you're going to get out, right? A little bit. Yeah, and when you're doing it for, um, so purpose is a big thing that I talk about Mm -hmm. a lot in my business and I work with in partnerships with others and that identifying that purpose, communicating that purpose to others, your team, um, and then attracting the people who are purpose driven uh, is, is complete, like it amplifies your results. It amplifies uh, everyone's commitment, and we all feel better because we're doing work that has an impact. And that doesn't only mean that folks need to be a social worker or a teacher or a nurse or a doctor to do that. Um, You can find purpose Mm. uh, that is across industries, across companies, but it first starts with what is really important to you um, at a high level, like what is important to you to make a difference, Uh, and then you kind of go from there. Yeah. Okay. Can we jump a little bit? I just want to talk about your risk-taking and your, and this was something I was struck by uh, when we you know, spent a little more time together and we were working and I, I immediately struck by, oh my gosh, this woman is such a risk-taker. Like you, you kind of, it seemed to me like you saw something and you would go for it and there'd be maybe a 50-foot drop and it was like, it'll all work out. Like, it, I'll figure it out. It'll all work out. Um, so is that something that is, like, conscious for you? You know, it's, it, is it just kind of how you're built? Or are there, are there you, you know, thoughts around, I know this is a risk, but I'm going to take a risk because I think without risk, there's no reward. Like, how, how do you approach some of oh, these yeah. things where you just, it seems to me, like, very brave and kind of just putting yourself out there over and over? Yeah, I will say, so I definitely still have areas where I'm developing a tolerance for (laughs) putting myself out there, and that's a bit of a risk. Yeah. But I, in general, people tell me this all the time. I don't, I hadn't viewed it until people started to tell me, like, oh, you're, like, really willing to take risks. Mm -hmm. I think some of that just comes from, as well, growing up where I grew up, right? If Mm -hmm. you were to say, um let me look at the statistics, not the end story, but let me look at the statistics of like just even taking my own charter, the people who grew up around me, like where did people end up um, and how did people do? So it, it was like, okay, if I can overcome, right, that situation, if I can be the first person in my family to graduate college or um, have a professional career, then pretty much I can do whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like if if I take the risk or if I take the chance and things don't work out, 
what is the absolute worst that can happen? Yeah. So typically, so I do take calculated risk. And so I'll think about that. I'll say, okay, so if I do this and it doesn't work, then what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, and the worst thing, and what will I do to circumvent that? So the worst thing could said be, okay, you're starting a business. The business cannot work out. Well, then I could start another business or I can go back and get another role, right? Mm -hmm. That's the worst thing that can happen. Sometimes I think what gets in our way around risk is if we say, but what will people think of me? Now, mm -hmm. if you add that on, it's going to be much harder to take the risk, yeah. right? Because I can't control whether people judge whether it was a smart decision or not. And if I don't take a chance because I think people are going to judge me, then I'm not going to take the chance, right? Because people are going to judge you. Yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> people yeah. are going to say you're crazy or what are you thinking? Um, some people will for sure encourage you, but you're, you can't control what people think about you or whether or not people judge you. So once I kind of let go of that in terms of the big decisions that I wanted to make um, or risks that I wanted to take, then it freed me a lot to take more risk. I think the very first risk I took was to move from Cleveland where I had grown up um, and completely moved to Georgia, only knew one person there. At that time, I did not yet have any college education and I had a kid and one on the way. And I was like, I'm just doing this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if it doesn't work out, I'll figure something else out. And so that is pretty much uh, the perspective that I take. I think about, okay, what's worst case scenario? Can I make it for worst case scenario? And if I can, then I'm going to go ahead and move forward with taking the risk. I will say on, and I know some people don't do Myers-Briggs, uh, which is a personality assessment, yeah. but on that assessment, I'm an INTJ, and so my last letter is J, which means I'm pretty decisive, and once I make a decision, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna go with it, um, so that is probably part of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, yeah, I think that definitely once you do it, you can do it again and again, right? And once you see that the worst case scenario rarely happens, it's it may not be the, you may not have the perfect outcome that you're hoping for, but typically it ends up being somewhere in the middle, right? In terms of the risks that you take. Uh, and also, I think, I don't know if, if just because I, you know, you've talked about the being a flight attendant and being now a nurse's assistant and you've been um, a social worker and you've been a successful <laughs> corporate professional and now you're starting your own business. Like, right. That's a lot of different opportunities and different ways that you've taken turns, right, to do different things. And I think your point about one, you know, not what other people think is so huge because it allows you a freedom to then be more connected to like your soul and, and what you want. And also um, that's like, what is the worst that can happen? Like, I think if you survive some tough times, like it's never going to be as bad as that. <laughs> so I can, I can withstand that. And so I think having that as a backdrop is helpful too. And then maybe maybe yeah. some of us innately have it where you just are a little bit more antsy or you right like you you need more to feel I think for me it's every time I've made a choice and I've done things that people think I'm like how did you do that what were you thinking 
it's um, it's because I was feeling restless or I felt a need to be better, to do more, to be connected to my purpose and my passion, kind of what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just pursue it. And also, I'll just uh, also blame it on Nancy Drew because I read a ton of it. I love it. A risk taker of all those mysteries. But yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, we, I know have to wrap up soon. I have like two more questions for you. Yeah. One, um, okay. I'm interested as a coach, um, what are some of the things that you see are common struggles? Um, and then kind of part two of that, like, you know, and I know we, we only have a few minutes. So one one answer is going to be, you know, look you up and <laughs> schedule time with you. But what are some of the things that people can do, I think, to help help with self-care or help through them? If there's just a couple that you see as themes in terms of some of the clients you've been working with. Yeah, so I will say just for common struggles um, are the ones that we all have, but the number one um, that I see a lot is just self-belief, mm. right? Um, uh, this idea that um, I don't have the resources, I don't have the skills, I'm not smart enough, mm. I'm not flexible enough, I'm not risky enough. Um, and the truth is, like what is it in coaching a lot, one thing that I talk about is a small T versus a big T truth, right? So mm. the small T truth is definitely that you feel that way, right? Yeah. Or you might look at uh, things around you and say, no, actually, I do not have the resources. And that's a small T. But what's the big truth with a capital T? The big truth is that you are here for a reason and you have a bigger mission is that you might not have certain resources, but you are resourceful, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that you might not have had a background that had adversity, but the truth is with a capital T is that you can build resilience and you can take risks. Um, is just putting yourself in the position to take the small risk in order to take the bigger risk. So when you're thinking about how do I focus more um, on uh, building that self-efficacy, belief in myself, um, is to focus on the strengths, approach what are your strengths, recognize that you're resourceful, surround yourself uh, with people who are generally optimistic and thinking about um, how to do things in a better way, uh, but just not getting caught in that cycle of I can't or I don't. Um, mm -hmm. And it's very easy to do. Um, I still wrestle with this, and it's still a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. um, but the number one thing that I would say uh, for us all to work on is to believe that we can do it and that if you can't make that mission about you, make it about somebody else. And you're probably going to go harder in pursuit because it's for them. Mm -hmm. And on the way, you'll build that healing relationship with yourself around self-belief. In terms of like collaborations and partnerships with founders, leaders, communication is the 100% biggest challenge. So you and I, Teresa, can 
agree that we say the same thing and we have an agreement and we'll leave that conversation and have two different thoughts about that. <laughs> because as you just demonstrated on this interview, we are coming from different backgrounds and we may be bringing some other stories right. um, or different truths from those backgrounds. So clarity, 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 mm. um, and agreements about how we're going to work together and be in partnership with each other is the number one thing that I work for. Like, yes, I work with companies on structure, on systems, on like what's the right employer brand or approach, but ultimately at the bottom of all of that is communication. Mm -hmm. So it's getting clarity and shared agreements about how we're going to work together um, and how do we know each other at a deeper level. Um, and I think you asked me about resources. Yeah. What was that final question? Yeah. So I was so just saying, which I think you, you somewhat answered as you were talking through those uh, examples, which is just um, if people, in terms of that sort of self-awareness and self-confidence, I think one, mm -hmm. as you're talking through that, for me, it's, you know, you got to identify that maybe that's the gap and then try to find help, right, to strengthen that. And then certainly on the, on whether that's hiring a coach or doing, there's so much now that you can avail yourself of, whether it's YouTube or Google or, right, like anything around strengthening those capabilities if, you know, in terms of if you don't necessarily have resources for a coach, there's a lot out there to help uh, you develop if, if that's what you want to do. And then- Oh, the, 100%. Right? Yeah. And then on the corporate and, side- Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm just like, oh, so many resources. So just share a couple that I use. Yeah. One person, I, if you don't have access to coaching um, and you still like uh, want to get coaching, so a book or a resource, uh, Marie Forleo, just uh, her book is coming out next week. It's called Everything is Figure Outable. Mm. Uh, and I just love that. Uh, but it's a fantastic resource or starter point for folks that are like, I'm early in personal development ah. um, or I don't have money for resources. Um, one of the, another book that I recommend to a lot of my clients, if we're talking specifically about their personal journey in like early professional career um, or um, early career period, is Playing Big by Tara Moore. Um, and I think the next question you were going to ask me is about resources for organizations yep. and businesses. I would say definitely go to uh, my website, which is cocreatework.com, uh, and we can have a consultation. I have resources there as well as like questions you can ask yourself as a leader, um, how to hire and build the right team for your business. Uh, but there's, uh, again, tons of books and resources out there for you. Um, building an A-team is, is a great one by Whitney Johnson. Mm -hmm. uh, people always tease me because I'm like, I'm just like, tell it, you're like, you tell everybody <laughs> about all the resources, but there are so many resources yeah. out there that are available to you. Um, and I would encourage you to just commit to a small step that you can take today, um, whether you are new, early career, um, and just trying to figure things out, um, or if you're a larger organization or business owner, founder, and you want to do things differently, is to just commit to one step you can take today uh, to get started. I love it. All right, and then one last little question that I like to ask people 
is around the advice you would give your younger self. So when you look back and you kind of think about the different milestones and challenges, like now that you have a lot more experience and wisdom, uh, what advice would you give to that younger Lakita? Mm, this is a good one. I think I hinted to this one earlier. It would be to, and I think we have this as younger people and we kind of lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes just as different pressures come in, is to make your mission bigger than you. Mm. Make your mission bigger than you. So where I have seen people achieve extraordinary things, um, overcome adversity, or pursue something that they they didn't know that they can do was in their mission to help other people. So by making the mission bigger than you, you're going to be able to more effectively, like, not be fearless, but be courageous. So take steps towards uh, that action, regardless Mm -hmm. of how scared you are, regardless of your voice is shaking, because you know that the story is that important or the work is that important um, or the impact that you're gonna have is that important. Mm. So if you make the mission bigger than you, you're gonna end up where you want to be anyway and you're gonna actually do what you were put here to do, which is whatever that purpose or impact is that you have in your heart. Ah, I love it. I could talk to you for hours. Um, I just am so appreciative of your time and maybe we could have you back too as a, as a guest around maybe some coaching tips or I don't know, we'll have to talk offline about maybe, um, yeah, I really, um, I just feel like you are such an inspiration on so many levels and I love your positive attitude and the way that you frame you know, points of view. And I just am so appreciative of your time. And I can't wait for our audience to hear this episode. And I hope that and wish for you nothing but awesome continued success. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Teresa. It was amazing to be here. Um, And I'm so inspired by the work that you're doing to make a difference in people's lives. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you, Lakita. As I said during the interview, I could have talked with her for hours. I hope we get her back on the podcast. I love the idea of a live in-action coaching session. As a reminder, if you like this discussion, please subscribe and rate Relatable on iTunes. If you get a chance, please write a review. We would love to see your comments. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram, and we also have a TFA Facebook page. Thanks so much, and until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable.